Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to study your word, to look at this passage of the healing on the Sabbath. I pray that as we look at this text, that you give us wisdom and insight um, in what it means and how we can apply it to our lives. And I just pray that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you turn to Luke chapter 14, I have an illustration for you. There was a story of two men who had a tiring job of clearing a field of trees. The contract called for them to be paid per tree. Bill, it is just what the story, <laughs> the name given in the story, uh, Bill wanted to, uh, the day to be profitable, so he grunted and sweated swinging the axe relentlessly. Ed, on the other hand, seemed to be working about half as fast. He even took a rest and sat off to the side for a few minutes. Bill kept swinging, uh, Bill kept chopping away until every muscle and tendon of his body was screaming. At the end of the day, Bill was terribly sore, but Ed was smiling and telling jokes. Amazingly, Ed had cut down more trees. Bill said, I noticed you sitting while I was working without a break. How'd you outwork me? Ed smiled. Did you notice I was sharpening my axe while I was sitting? <laughs> Today we're going to be, part of the message is going to be focused on rest and the importance of rest, the importance of taking it. Um, that uh, rest is often misunderstood, I think, in our culture. We talk a lot about being busy and the busyness of life. It's often neglected, but rest is important because it gives us perspective. It gives us time in God's Word. It gives us time to pray. It gives us time to meditate on God's Word and to think about our lives and think about how we are applying God's Word into our lives. Now, I was going to, when I started studying, I was going to do the parable of the wedding feast, which follows, which I will do next time. Um, but I spent so much time thinking about the context of the passage that I thought, well, I should probably just have it be its own sermon. Now, this situation that we read about, and we'll read it one more time, it says, one Sabbath when he, was, when he went to dinner at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him, and he healed him, and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Now, this situation is all too common. Um, there's a Sabbath, um, either one of the disciples eating grain, or Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And then there is a big uproar by the Pharisees, and they question him on it. Um, and then Jesus responds. In fact, it's happened already seven times previous to this that is recorded in Scripture. In Luke, he cast out a demon. He healed a fever. Um, he allowed the disciples to pluck grain. He healed a lame man in John. He healed a paralyzed. 
someone with a paralyzed hand. He delivered a crippled woman who was afflicted with a demon, and he healed a man born blind. And so seven times already, and still they are trying to catch him. And so my first point is going to be the Sabbath day dilemma. And you have here the setup. We see pretty clearly here that it was a trap, or at least they were trying to trap him. It says he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And notice they were watching him carefully. Now, that watching him carefully, that carefully word here, um, in certain contexts can mean various things, but in this context it has a sinister undertone, which is to lurk, to spy. Um, They were watching him with an evil intent to see if they could catch him in the act. And it's interesting to think that they bring a man with dropsy to the house of a Pharisee. If you are familiar with the Pharisees, this wouldn't be the normal type of person you would find at the house of a ruler of the Pharisee. So it becomes fairly obvious that this man was here for a purpose, that he was brought there. Um, And dropsy is a condition of excess accumulation of serious fluid in the body, and that can come from, I'm not really a doctor, you could ask someone, Uh, It comes from liver, from heart, um, from various different ways, but it's an excess of fluid in the body. So you see that they are carefully watching him. This man is here at the house of the Pharisees. These all point to the fact that this is a setup. They're trying to trap Jesus to see if he would heal because they knew he would heal at this point because he had done it several other times on the Sabbath day. And the last reason we can clearly see this as a setup is, it says, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, um, which is a strange statement when you consider they didn't say anything. All they did was watch him. And so Jesus isn't responding to what they said. He's responding to what they did, and that is they brought this man to test him. So they bring this man with dropsy, and they get a response. Now notice he does this before he actually heals the person. Jesus responds to them, and he says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now they were probably thinking this is going to be a sure, easy way to trap Jesus. He has been healing people on the Sabbath, and I'm sure he's going to do it this time. Um, But instead of... Trapping Jesus, they get trapped because they're put in an impossible situation for them. On one sense, if they say, if they respond to his question and say, uh, no, you cannot heal on the Sabbath, then people are going to think, well, they're heartless. This man needs help, obviously, and so it is heartless for them not to help him. But on the other hand, if they say, yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then they themselves are putting them in a position that they would call lawless. And then those around them would no longer listen to them because they aren't abiding by their own rules. And so Jesus puts them here in an impossible situation with that question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the Sabbath, and I was thinking, well, we all have a pretty good idea of what the Sabbath is, but I thought we would take a look and see it a little bit more in-depthly. What is the Sabbath? Now, the definition for the Sabbath means to cease, to rest, or desist. So the idea comes from taking a rest. In Genesis, there is no mention of the Sabbath, but we do get a picture of the Sabbath. Um, And that is recorded for us later in Exodus. So you could turn to Exodus 20 with me. Exodus 20, verse 8. The example in Exodus, of course, is that Jesus, our God created the earth in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. Now, when you're thinking about commands, and if I was to give you ten commands to live by, I don't think on the top of my list would come the idea of taking a rest day. Um, But when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment is taking a Sabbath day. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your sons, or your daughter your male servants or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days, so this is the clarification, for six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so we are to follow in God's example. And again, God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He didn't run out of power or anything like that. It serves as an example to us to rest. And so, when you're thinking about that as well, there were serious consequences for the Israelites for breaking um, that if you turned to Exodus thirty one fourteen, it says, "You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, the soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath." of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So there were serious consequences for breaking the Sabbath. And this is something that was supposed to be continual for them in verse 16 there. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. And so something that they were supposed to do regularly On the seventh day, it was supposed to be continual. Um, It was supposed to be kept, um, and it was supposed to be a means to cease, to rest, to remember God, and to keep it as a holy day. Now, when you're looking through the history, we see, as we just saw, the Old Testament was a holy day, which is a cessation from secular work. In the intertestamental period, 
it gained a legalistic tone. So by the time you get to Christ. In the Damascus documents, we see there was added to Scripture that people weren't allowed to walk any further than a thousand cubits. They weren't allowed to drink outside of camp on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to draw any water into a vessel. You weren't allowed to wear perfume, open any sealed vessel. You weren't allowed to assist an animal to give birth or help any animal out of a pit. Or you weren't even allowed to have any sexual relations on the Sabbath. So they added to it. The book of Jubilee goes even further. It says you can't plow a field. You can't start a fire, ride an animal, ride a boat, kill anything, make war. Um, these were all things that were not allowed on the Sabbath. Now, the prevailing opinion among the rabbis during the time of Christ was that healing of the sick or handicapped was not allowed unless the person um, was uh, most likely going to die before the Sabbath was over, then you could heal. But if there was a chance he, or a probability that he was going to make it another day, then they weren't allowed to heal on the Sabbath. When you're thinking of that, it reminds you of Jesus' words that the Sabbath, uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. Um, they had forgotten the reason for the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a time to cease from the busyness of life and to reflect on what God had been doing in their lives, what God had done in their lives, and what God is going to do in their life. And so that is the Sabbath in a nutshell. So we had the setup, we have an understanding of the Sabbath, and now we have the standard. And I was thinking about the Sabbath for today, and we need to have a Sabbath day or time. And I don't mean a formal, such as and you have to not do all these things on a Saturday or whatever. But I think that idea of taking a time of rest is still important for us today. Um, it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. God worked six days and he rested on the seventh. That was a pattern for man and not just the Israelites. Man needs rest. And, and a simple way to think about it is as we go throughout the world, we exert energy, and energy needs to be put back in. Uh, we do this every single day when we sleep. Um, but beyond that, we need other times of rest as well. If you went to Genesis, actually, Genesis 2.1, we'll look at it because I've referenced it a few times. Genesis 2.1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. And so you see the correlation as you might think back to Exodus, as you think about this, right? God worked. He finished the work. God blessed that seventh day. He made it holy, and he rested from his work. 
much as we should be following in that example. We need to, as I said in Exodus, keep it holy because the Lord bless the Sabbath. And as I was thinking about this, thinking about it a little bit further, we need rest because we aren't God. Um, God did it as an example for us. He didn't need to rest, but we are finite human beings, and we have a finite amount of energy output. We have a finite amount of physical output we can do, a finite amount of mental output that we can do. And eventually, if we don't take any rest, we're going to crash in some form or another. I liked what... I found a quote from Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And that's often how it is. We don't take the time we need to rest. But you might ask, what kind of rest will we need? And I thought of three different for you, two, three major ones. The first one is mental rest. Um, and if you work a office job, you might... Um, understand this more than if you work a physical job. You're there on the computer all day, maybe crunching numbers as an accountant. All of us maybe remember taking a test at some point, a difficult test, and the mental energy it takes to perform that test makes you mentally drained by the time you are done it. And I wonder at sometimes if we're so mentally drained and we live there for so long, we forget how mentally drained we are and we continue to live that way. So we need to take a rest, a mental rest. And what do you do during that time is the question. Well, you take that time as the Israelites would to grow closer to God, right? You spend that time in prayer. You spend that time meditating on God's word, reading God's word, and getting that spiritual nourishment you need. So we need to take mental rest. We need to also take physical rest physical rest as well, even when life is busy. It's interesting, there's a clarification here in Exodus 34, 21. I'll just read it for you. It says, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them, and that is the wrong verse. So, anyways... There's a verse that talks about taking a rest on the Sabbath day, even during the time of harvest, which would have been a very important time. I'll have to find that verse for my next sermon. Even during the time of harvest. And so even during the busiest time for them, he points out, look, it is important that you take a time of rest. And the last one, you have mental, you have physical, and the last one is spiritual. And that isn't take time away from the spiritual aspects of our life, but I'm going to call it spiritual nourishment, which is really the goal of the mental and the physical, right? The goal is for our sanctification, that we can take a moment in time to reflect on our life, to read and understand God's word and think about how we can apply it into our life so that we can grow more like Christ each and every day. It's much like that illustration of the man sharpening his axe. 
right? Sometimes we just barrel through life and we're just chopping down trees. We never think about how we could do it differently or how we could do it better for Christ. We need to be like the man who takes a moment, he sharpens his axe, he spends time in his words, he prays to God, he meditates on God's word, and he gets back to work stronger than before. And as I was thinking about this, thinking about Jesus also um, shows us how important it is multiple times in Scripture. Mark one thirty five is an example where it says, Jesus, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He understood that spending time with God was an important aspect of his life, having that fellowship Right? And a lot of that is an example to us of what we need to be doing. And so let's be like that man who took some time to sharpen his axe and have a day. And in today's culture, I think it's important to plan that day. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, um, make sure that we clear a day where we're focused on God and we separate that from the rest of our life and where we can grow and be nourished spiritually. All right, so that is my first point, the Sabbath day dilemma, and that is work on resting. Now, the second point is the hypocrite's predicament. Getting back into our text, I know that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, I will admit. And that is, the next is the hypocrite's predicament, and that is work on resting. He says, but they remained silent. Now notice they didn't have any, they didn't want to reply, at least at this point. They were a little trapped, as I mentioned. Then he took him and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, we have to notice that initially they remained silent because they probably wanted to see at least what Jesus was going to do. And then second, when he actually heals him and he asks him the question, they could not reply to these things. That is, they didn't even have an answer anymore. They were stumped. He also says, which of you, that is pointing to the Pharisees, he's talking and responding to them, and he says, will not immediately, that immediately is just pointing out, meaning the Sabbath day, right? That, that even though it's the Sabbath, if they see this happening, if they see their son, or if they see an ox stuck, they're going to immediately, meaning on that day, pull them out because they need help. It is interesting that, that having a son, um, some manuscripts say donkey instead of son, but what's the difference really? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, that is true. Some manuscripts do say donkey, but that was a little bit of a joke. So, again, this is something, this scenario is not anything new in Scripture. It already happened at least seven different times. And just previous to this, it happened. Go to chapter 13, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day, 
And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years, and she bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately, that is, on the Sabbath day, she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the rulers of the synagogue, indignant because... Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which you ought to work, work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, do, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from the bonds of the, on the Sabbath? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now notice in both instances, Jesus, for the woman, he calls her older over, but he physically touches them and heals them. And that only points to the fact to make sure they understand that he himself was the one doing these things on the Sabbath day. And they missed the point, right? They would quickly go and give water to their animals if they need it, and yet this poor woman needs help, and they are unwilling to help because it is a Sabbath day. Now he calls them a word, a word that Christians in particular don't like, understandably. Um, it's something that if you call one of us, it's about the worst thing you can, because not only you're a sinner, but you're faking about being a sinner, and that is a hypocrite. Uh, none of us want to be called a hypocrite. I think one of the chief offenses or one of the things that people say that cuts the deepest, especially if it's true, is you are a hypocrite. Hypocrite, in the Greek, there in Luke 13, 15, is a pretender, a deceiver, an imposter, a fake. And it's interesting, the root meaning kind of pictures an actor, someone who is pretending to be something that he is not. It has the idea of putting on a mask um, um, to appear to be something one is not. They said they did, and others should do one thing, and yet they were doing another, as Jesus points out. Look, you say we shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath, but you would willingly do this in a heartbeat, which would break your own laws. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, are there ways in which we are hypocrites in our own life? And we should be careful to evaluate our lives and think about that. I mean, I was thinking, maybe because I'm a new parent, but I was thinking parents can sometimes be hypocritical in the things they say. They tell parents, Kids, don't watch TV. It's not good for you. But then they might spend all night watching TV or all day on their phone. Uh, Dad might tell his kid to respect his mother, but he himself does not respect her. 
Um, you tell your kids how important it is to do your devotions, to memorize scripture, to um, read your scriptures, and yet you don't do it yourself. Um, these can be ways in which we are hypocritical, and it will be ways in which your kids will see that in your own life. And I was <clears throat> thinking about that, and it's important to think back to what I am telling others to do and make sure I am doing it myself. Now, I do want to be a little careful here um, in clarifying hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an ongoing failure that gives an appearance of righteousness. So an ongoing failure that gives an appearance of righteousness. There is a difference between setting a standard and living up to that standard. And so... For an illustration, a parent might tell their kid to do the devotions while admitting that they themselves aren't good at it and need to be better at it. So we do need to make sure we have a high standard, even as uh, we preach and we teach, right? Be holy for I am holy, but I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that I'm a perfect person. Um, I'm just setting a standard and making sure that we try to live by what God tells us to do. And so you do have to be careful with that. But the question remains, how to not be a hypocrite? Or how do we avoid hypocrisy in our lives? And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, it goes back to my first point, really. And that is to take a Sabbath. Take a time, a time frame, a day. Take time to grow spiritually to see where in your life you need growth. It'll give you a moment to reflect on your life, to praise God for all that's happened in your life. And it'll give you time to reflect through prayer, through reading, through meditating on God's word, the things in which you are doing and the things that you need to do better in your life, the things you say to other people to do, the things that you need to follow through and do as well. It will help ensure that what you know about God reflects what you say and do in your everyday life. And this will give you a continual heavenly perspective in how we live your life for Christ. And so the idea is rest. And you have to plan your rest. Maybe you say, I'm going to wake up early in the morning because that's going to be the time I know I have time to spend with God for a little bit of peace and quiet to read God's word, to pray, to meditate. Maybe you have a specific Saturday. Maybe it's a Sunday. Maybe it's at night. It doesn't really matter. The point is that you take that time. Again, don't be like that guy who just keeps chopping down trees and never sharpens his axe. Uh, in the end, that rest is productive. Um, it will help grow you to be more and more like Christ. And so the Sabbath was not meant to give people, sorry, was meant to give people physical, mental, and spiritual um, rest and nourishment. Instead, the Pharisees hypocritically made it a time for further work. In our own lives, we just need to be careful to not be like those Pharisees, and we need to reflect back on our life, all the things that God is doing, and then the very way beginning of maybe our spiritual growth, but also in the weeks and days that are to come. 
We need to regularly reflect on everything that God's doing in our lives, praise Him for it, and then know how we can further glorify God each and every day. And so with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time to spend in your word, to think about rest a little bit, to think about the Sabbath. Help us to be able to find that time where we can spend with you in prayer, in reading, um, with others, with our friends and our family as we glorify you each and every day. I just pray that we would be those who live a life in which we are not hypocrites, where we say uh, we love you and we glorify you and we obey you and that we actually follow through and actually do those things. Uh, We just thank you and praise you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.